Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. We finished up a series last week, um, I Am, and we're starting a new series next week called How to Neighbor. But for this week, we're going to look at what it means to have a rich life. And so this book that we call Colossians is actually a letter written to the church of Colossus by Paul. And one of the things that you got to realize is like a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, a lot of the books that we read in the New Testament that was written by Paul, he wrote a lot of these in prison. And it's crazy when you read how they start out because they start out like, like, I'm so thankful. Like, I'm so proud of you. I'm like so joyful. And how many of you know that if you're writing a letter from prison, like that's probably not how it's going to start. It's going to start with get me out of here, right? But that's not, that's not how Paul starts his letters. Every letter he starts, he starts with encouraging those that he's writing them to. And so he's writing this letter to the church of, of Coloss. And so we're going to read a couple of different sections of this chapter. Let's start with verse 1 through 3. And if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screens for you. So Paul says this, he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse two, he says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in its glory. And so I wanted you to understand like this passage of scripture where it says your real life is hidden in Christ. That is one of our foundational scriptures. When we, when we say things like we want people to experience God's love, that's one of the things we want people to do. We know that you can't fully understand it, wrap your brain around it, but we know that you can experience that. And to have a relationship with someone is to experience life with them. The second thing we want people to do is we want to help them find their identity in Christ, not in work, not in a relationship, not in status, not in what someone else says about you. But Paul is saying that this real life, our real identity is found in who? Christ. And so we take this scripture as a foundational scripture. And, and Paul is, is telling this to the church in this city because the city of Colos was, was on a main Roman road. So there was a lot of traffic within the city, a lot of uh, merchants, a lot of just travelers, but it was also a very diverse and eclectic city in that you had pagan worshipers, but then you also had some Jewish believers of God. And you had folks getting saved, coming into a relationship with Jesus. And what was happening with their faith that was pure and only Jesus is it was starting to get tainted. It was starting to get polluted with some pagan traditions. And so you had these 
pagan folks saying, okay, you can worship Jesus, but you need to also continue doing this. And then you had these Jewish folks who had gotten saved that said, okay, you can worship Jesus, but you also have to follow a lot of these Jewish laws and rules and traditions. And Paul is trying to bring them back and saying, wait, 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 forget all of that. It's Jesus and nothing else. And so when you read the first couple of chapters of this, you see Paul saying things like Jesus is supreme overall. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the head of the church, which is the body. And he's trying to remind this church in Coloss that has been easily influenced that it's Jesus and what? Nothing else. It's Jesus and nothing else. And so he's given them some instructions for their new life. And we see in, in the rest of this chapter, in verse 5, he makes this statement. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And he's, he's encouraging them that, yes, you're saved, you're, you're walking in newness, but we all have these things that are still on the inside of us that are lurking, that are hiding, that can bounce out like at the most opportune time. You guys have experienced that. We've all experienced that where we have a thought pop in our head like, where did, like, where did that come from, right? Or we have a, like, a tendency to maybe lie to cover up something or maybe not to tell the whole truth, but maybe omit some of the truth. That is, that is the sin nature still lurking and hiding on the inside of us. And Paul is saying we have to put that to death. And so he begins to name these things, put to death these things, strip off these things as sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, slander, dirty language, and lying and gossiping. All these things he's saying, you need to put these things to death. He also uses the illustration that, that this is your old nature that you need to take off. But when you take something away, there's a void that has to be filled. And if we don't intentionally fill it with something, then we will go back. It's like when you try to break a bad habit, you don't just break a bad habit. What do you have to do? You have to replace it with a good habit. Because if not, there's going to be a void and you're just going to slip back into that bad habit. So you just can't take care of one without adding something to it. And so Paul goes on to say, here's what you have to do. Put on your new nature or your new code of mercy, of kindness, humility, faithfulness, patience, forgiveness. And then he says this, above all, clothe yourself in love. Because love is the foundation and is the starting point of all of that. And if, if, if we're not careful, like what he's saying is there needs to be a visible difference. That we take off our old nature and we put on our new nature. And it's like for us, when we're changing clothes, like if we're following Jesus, there should be a visible difference between how we were before we were following Jesus to how we are once we're following Jesus. If you've ever been working outside or working on a motor, or I don't work on motors, but I do work outside, right? But your clothes get stained, they get greasy, they get dirty. And that's how our life is pre-Jesus. It's stained from our sin, from our mess-ups, our mistakes. It's stained and dirty. And when we come into relationship with Jesus, it's as if we're taking a shower and we're taking all that off and putting on new clothes. And somebody can notice when you change from your work clothes to your good clothes, right? And when we come into relationship with Jesus, what Paul is saying is, is, is we change from our old clothes to our new clothes. There should be a visible difference there. And so he goes on, let's go down to verse 16. And so he's listed all this, but then he starts to sum it up about what the message of Christ should do. Verse 16. So it says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. 
teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And I, like, I love the first part of that verse 16. It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness. I, I just like that word. Like the more I studied that, that scripture this week, just, just that word richness, it just feels like it has some weight when you read that because it says, let the message of Christ in all its richness. And I think sometimes we miss out on the richness of the message of Christ, that we get used to it, we become familiar with it, and, and it loses its richness in our life. And when you look up this word, it, like this is a rich message. It is a message of abundance. Rich means strength. So this is a message of strength. It's a message with value. And when you look up richness, it also means it has the right ingredients. And I love dessert. Anybody else love desserts? Come on, like desserts. And so you think about like, like the richest dessert that you could ever, ever eat and how it's just, man, it's just so good. To me, the best desserts have two main ingredients, chocolate and peanut butter. If it's got chocolate and peanut butter, I'm eating it. And so some friends and I, um, several years ago, we were just trying to think what, what would be a really good combination of chocolate and peanut butter. And so we were at Panera and he was like, I wonder if there's ever like a chocolate peanut butter lasagna. There's got to be some way you can make that, right? And we're like, surely somebody's thought of that. So we Googled it and it's a real thing. Chocolate peanut butter lasagna. Are you guys ready for me to rock your world? All right, I know I'm giving you the word of God and it changes your world, but something about a rich dessert can just change your life. So I'm gonna give you guys the recipe, okay? And just so you can see how rich this dessert is. And so we were like, it can't be a thing, but it is. So step one, line the bottom of a nine by 13 pan with 12 ice cream sandwiches. Okay, all right, 12, all right, <laughs> 12. And then it says, step two, open a jar of peanut butter, Place it into the microwave on low power for 30 seconds until the peanut butter is warm yeah. and spreads easily. Yeah. This is spread half the peanut butter over the ice cream sandwiches. Good stuff. You guys ready for step three? Step three, mix instant chocolate pudding into whipped cream. Spread half the mixture over the peanut butter layer. Step four, spread half the peanut butter cups. So you're taking peanut butter cups and putting peanut butter cups now over the whipped cream. Remove hot fudge and caramel topping tops. They want to make sure you know how to take a top off a jar, right? Microwave it for about 10 seconds. Drizzle half the hot fudge and the caramel sauce over the peanut butter cups. Oh, so good. We're not done because now we repeat each of those layers. <laughs> Look at that. So let me tell you, that is a rich dessert. I've made it twice because literally <laughs> I can only eat one piece and then it's, I just can't eat anymore because sometimes things can be so rich that you don't want any more of it, right? It makes you sick at your stomach. And what Paul is saying in some senses is like, look, we're focusing on the things of the world and there's some richness to the things in the world, but we shouldn't focus on that because we focus on that, it upsets our spiritual stomach. And some of us have consumed, you guys are just totally thinking about the lasagna right now, aren't you? 
So here's what I'll do. Just to help you out, I'll post it on our Instagram story so you guys can, can ruin your week, okay? So, but here's the thing. Like, like we focus on the richness sometimes that the world has to offer and we wind up spiritually sick. And what Paul is saying, look, let's let the message of Christ and all its richness fill our lives. And so many times we, we look at this Christian faith and this Christian walk and so much that has to be taken away from it. But it's all about what gets to be added to our life. It's all about what God wants for us. And we, wanna, we, we, we don't want to focus on what God wants to take from us. He wants to take from us the things that hinder and hurt us. But he wants to replace that void with rich and satisfying things. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. And so I, I don't want you just to look for that rich and satisfying moment on a Sunday morning. Because we can tend to do that. Like, like we're going to get all that I need on Sunday morning, but by Tuesday, Wednesday, you're depleted. And, and you're not feeling very rich and very satisfied and very full. You're feeling very empty and, and very dry. And so Paul is actually in this giving us some ingredients to having a rich and satisfying life, a richness of God's message throughout the week. And so he reads, he says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The first thing that he says that we do is he, he says we, we teach that we um, counsel each other, and that is sharing wisdom. That is sharing wisdom that God has given us with other people. And you've heard me say this before, like you need to be teaching what God's showing you. So many times we think it's in this context that I have to have a platform or a stage or a microphone or I have to be in a formalized, structured Bible study. But you have an opportunity to share God's wisdom every conversation that you have. When God shares something with you and you're reading or you're praying or you're talking with someone, we need to share it with someone else. And how many of us, when we find a good restaurant, we don't keep it to ourselves, right? We wanna share it with someone else. We want to share meals with other people. And anytime we see people eating alone, we think, oh, they don't have any friends, right? Maybe, maybe you like to eat alone. I can't eat alone because I feel like everyone's staring at me like I don't have any friends, <laughs> right? But it could be I don't have many friends, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but we don't like eating together. Anytime you see Jesus breaking bread, he's breaking bread with his disciples and with his friends. He says with each other. And when we find a good restaurant, we share it. In Jackson, we had an incredible restaurant called Burrito Meal. Burrito fans, anyone? Come on. Listen, they took burritos to a whole nother level, and he had this incredible spice, and they actually had something called a burrito which was a burrito hamburger with chorizo meat and a special sauce and avocado and cheese. Incredible. And so everyone that I met, I was asking them, hey, have you been to Burrito Mill? If they said no, guess where they were going? <laughs> burrito Mill. Okay, and so I found a place here in, in Murfreesboro on North Thompson called Coffee Fusion. And they serve Thai food. I know, it's like, yeah. it's Coffee Fusion, Thai food? How does that work? 
It's incredible. So when I find someone that hasn't been to Coffee Fusion, and if they like Thai food, then I take them. If they don't like Thai food, we have to, you have to tiptoe your way into that, right? Because you can get it on a scale of one to five, one being not so hot, five being blazing. And so I've kind of worked my way to five. Drunk rice is incredible if you go there. It's completely like alcohol-free. You can eat it and still drive home, I promise, right? But we do that with restaurants, Why don't we do that when God serves us a meal through his word? Why don't we share that with someone else? Because I know like I get really excited when I'm like, hey, you haven't had burrito meal, coffee fusion? Come on, we're going, let's go. Why can't we get that excited when God gives us something to share? Instead, what we do is we just kind of hold it and hide it and, and tuck it back. Well, I might offend them. They might not be ready for it. What if they think I'm that weird Christian friend? What if on the flip side, you are nourishing them for that day? What if on the flip side, you're giving them something that they'd been asking for, but you didn't know they had been asking for it? And so I had this happen to me a few months ago. I was kind of reading through the Old Testament, and I came across this, this story where um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I had to remember the, the process, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so Isaac was going back home, and and he was having to dig some more wells, but instead of digging new wells, he opened the old wells that his father had dug. And so that just really stuck out to me. And I wrote it down and I texted some of my pastor friends and, and even had lunch with my, my boss because he was praying about going back onto the missions field into Germany. And I just remembered that I was like, well, maybe God's going to open some old wells for you that maybe there's some relationships that you had from like 10 years ago that he's going to restore to help you get back on the missions field. He's like, that's a good idea. So I was like, maybe you need to contact those people. And so I told him and a couple other pastor friends. And then it just hit me this past week that I've had an old well that has been uncovered in my life. My wife and I were children's pastors almost 20 years ago. And we started, a rekindled a relationship with some parents of kids that we were their children's pastors and they live in South Carolina. I hadn't talked to them in like 15 years. They found out we were planning a church, started talking. And in like the last six months, they've given almost $20,000 towards this church plan. And so God opened this old well. And so like literally this week they gave again and I sent them a text message. like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, thank you, but you have a church. And he was like, we're just sowing seed. And God reminded me, he said, I'm opening old wells. But see, I would have forgotten that had I not told someone else that as well. And so, see, when, when we share what God shares with us, it's, it's bringing richness into our life. And so Paul is saying, look, teach, counsel, encourage, admonish, and maybe even correct from time to time. And then he says this. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Guess what? You don't have to wait till Sunday to worship You don't have to wait till Sunday and you can sing as loud as you want to when no one is around. Because I know sometimes we get in a church and like, oh, I'm not, you know, if I ever have a microphone, I'm not singing just so you know. Like I'm going to be Millie Vanilli in it all day long. Like (laughs) they lip sync for those of you who don't know who they are, right? And so, but when I'm alone, I'm making a joyful noise. It doesn't say anything about it being pretty. It's just saying being joyful. And so when I'm alone, I'm singing. And guess what? You don't have to wait to do that on Sunday. You can do that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Because here's what I know. Like, like worship changes, like music changes things. 
music changes our mood. Like we have hype music. Some of you have like workout playlist, right? And it's not Bach and Beethoven, right? If you're working out to Bach and Beethoven, like I need to talk to you because you've got a whole nother level of energy that I don't have. But most of us have the beast mode soundtrack. We've got the workout soundtrack. We've got M&Ms, you know, in the moment tucked in there, the edited version, right? So that, so, so that you can hit that last mile because music changes our, our mood. Worship changes our mood. Worship changes the atmosphere. And so don't wait till Sunday to change your atmosphere. Worship changes our emotions. And we, we see this in, in Psalm 103. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And Psalm 104 says, let all that I am praise the Lord. Oh Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. And when this is talking about how great you are, King James Version puts it as we magnify the Lord. And see, when we magnify the Lord, what we're doing, like in the midst of our problems, our situation, our struggles or whatever, if we're not careful, we focus on those and we shrink our Lord. But when we magnify our Lord, we shrink our problems. We shrink our problems. And I was talking to Matthew. I, in my study for the message this week, I came across something that was super cool. And I'm going to share it now, but I'll probably put it in a worship series. But in, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, um, one of the 12 tribes of Judah, Jacob's son, one of his 12 sons, he was named Judah. And when he was born, his mother named him Judah and simply said, all that I have left is to praise God. And so Judah means praise. Judah means praise. And so at the end, when, when Jacob, Israel, is getting ready to pass on and die, he blesses each of his sons. And he comes to Judah and he tells Judah that, that people will praise you. And he says that you will choke the neck of your enemy. And so think about that in the context, right? So when the enemy comes against us trying to choke us, guess what we do? We praise and we grab him by the throat and throw him against the wall, right? No, but that's what we do. When the enemy tries to choke us with words, we choke him with praise. And so don't wait till Sunday to get your praise on. Get it on on Monday through Saturday. So we sing. He says, share, sing. And then he says this. He says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative. He says, he's saying we should, and this is how I read it, we should serve. We should be serving others. Because as you're sharing, you get filled up. As you're singing, you get filled up. And believe it or not, anytime I've ever served someone else and I feel like I'm helping them, guess how I walk away feeling? Man, that felt so good. Because what we're doing is, is we're taking the focus off the person in the mirror and we're putting on the focus on the person in front of us. And Jesus makes this statement, like, right? He, the, the disciples are always arguing over who's gonna sit where, who's the best, who's the greatest. And they come to him like, Jesus, when you come to your kingdom, and like in one context, it's James and John's mom. Mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, when, when you come to your kingdom, can my sons have the best seats? Imagine like, you're a grown man and your mom shows up at work 
and is like, hey, I need to talk to this boss because you're not treating him right. <laughs> like, he needs a raise. Like, that doesn't fly. And so the disciples are, are really mom saying this because she's overheard what they've been wanting. And so she comes to Jesus and says, can they have the good seats? And Jesus says, you don't understand what you're asking. I didn't come to be served. This isn't about me. I came to serve others. And we see him doing that on the very last night with his disciples. And yes, he prays with them. He talks to them. He gives them encouragement. But in the upper room, when they all get there, get the dinner, there's no one at the door washing each other's feet. And the disciples weren't going to take the spot to do that because the foot washing servant was the lowest of the low. It was the lowest. It wasn't like you wouldn't even pick a Jew to do that. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't do that. You would, you would pick someone outside of that. And Jesus, I just like picture it, and the disciples are all sitting around, their nasty feet propped on the table, and they're talking about who's the best and passing the bread or whatever, and Jesus is just looking around and looking at their feet. And he gets up from the table while they're still talking, don't even notice, and he walks over and he disrobes and he puts on the position of a servant to wash their feet because when we serve, this is what it does. It changes our position. And it actually puts us in a better place to receive because we're walking because Jesus says, just as I've done, now you go do. And so when we serve, not only are we helping others, but our life is being filled with richness as well. And so we share, we sing, we serve. I tried to get this last one to start with an S, but I just couldn't, <laughs> right? I was the source in it all day yesterday. Like, I gotta change it. So you're getting appreciating, okay? So appreciate that, please. All right, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but appreciating, gratitude, being thankful. We're missing this so much in our lives today because we're always focusing on what we don't have instead of realizing what we do have. And when we appreciate what we do have, it makes what we have transition from not good enough and not enough to enough. Because instead of looking at what someone else has that we don't, we look at what, our, what we have and we realize the gift that it is, Right? The gift that it is. And, and, and so we see this in Psalm 105 and in Psalm 106, verse 1 and 2. In Psalm 105, verse 1 and 2, it says, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. See, we don't just have to tell Jesus thank you and show appreciation, but we need to let those around us know what Jesus is doing in our life. And it's not about bragging rights. For us, it's about pointing it back to him. It's about getting him the glory for what he's doing in our life. And it's showing him appreciation as well. But it's letting those around us know that, hey, I didn't do this on my own strength. God gave me the strength to do this. Like, I didn't do this out of my own resources. God dug up a well from 20 years ago and is providing resources for this. And so when we do that, we let people around us know and appreciate what God is doing. He gets the glory for it. And then in chapter 106, chapter 106, verses one and two, it says, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? And, and so many times we think miracles is just like, like burning bush, parting the Red Sea. The fact that we woke up this morning is a miracle. 
the fact that, you know, Mark Batterson talks about in a couple of his books, the fact that our earth is tilted at just the right angle so that we get the seasons that we have and that we don't melt is a miracle, <laughs> right? The fact that, that we have breath in our lungs is a miracle. The fact that we're getting to meet in a church, in a building right now is a miracle. And I told first service, I've got a pastor friend in California that they've had to meet outside for over a year now. And every time that they find a location, something happens and it doesn't fall through. But for us to be able to meet in a place with padded seats, because I've been to Africa where we sit under a tree, right? That we get padded is a miracle. And we take these things for granted. If you were to make a list of everything that you're thankful for, like just to sit down and just start making lists and just think of things that, that you've taken for granted. I heard a pastor say one time, like, what if you woke up tomorrow morning for everything that you were grateful for today? What would you have? Like literally, there would be a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have, right, that we take for granted. And I'm not saying we do this all the time because to be honest, if, like if we were just to spend our days thanking God for what he's done, that's all that we could do spending our day for, like realistically. But we need to take moments where we show appreciation for the good things. This is hard. But maybe also for some of the bad things that we've walked through that have changed us for the better. And like in the moment, we're like, I can't believe I'm going through this. But once we get to the other side of it and we see it, we're like, oh, that changed me. God, I was crying for you to get me out of it, but thank you for not. Thank you for leaving me in it because I'm a stronger person. I'm a different person because I know you walked with me through that. But we fail to appreciate what God has done. And this is, this is what happened to the children of Israel. So this whole Psalm 105 and 106 is talking about how God brought the children of Israel to where they were at, to where the psalmist was writing this. And in verse 21, he starts talking about what happened to him. And so when they say they, he's referring to the children of Israel once they were brought out of Egypt. He says, they forgot God, their savior, who had done such great things in Egypt, such wonderful things in the land of Ham, such awesome deeds at the Red Sea. They forgot these things. And then in verse 24, you jump down, it says, the people refused to enter the promised land as they wouldn't believe his promises to care for them. If you know the story, like God led them out of Egypt miraculously, parted the Red Sea miraculously, provided manna from heaven miraculously. Then when they wanted meat, they provided quail. He provided quail miraculously. When they were thirsty, he provided water miraculously. When they had to fight, he allowed them to win miraculously. And then they get to enter into the promised land, send 12 spies over. And there's some enemies that are as big as giants and they come back like, we can't do it. They stopped believing in God's promises because this is what happens when I was praying this week. This is, this is what I believe happens. When we stop appreciating what God has done, we stop remembering what God has done. When we stop appreciating what God has done, we stop remembering what God has done. And when we stop remembering what God has done, we stop believing what God can do. We stop believing what God can do. And so like, there's so many times, like we've been in the midst of a situation and we're like, hey, God, I need you to come through. I just don't know if you can. I don't know, like, do you see I'm in this situation? Do you have any idea? I've been praying, but you're not listening. I've been praying. But if we remember 
what he did once. We've seen this. Would you do it again? Like I've seen you move, move the mountains. You did it once. I believe you can do it again. But we stop believing because we've stopped remembering because we've stopped appreciating. Because as you continue to appreciate, like you stop taking it for granted. And you realize God is able to do now what he did then. And so sometimes we have this void and we feel like, like, man, life just isn't rich right now. It's empty right now. Maybe you need to bring some of these ingredients back into your life. Because I don't want you just to come in and, and have a great Sunday morning service. I want you to live Monday through Saturday with, with a richness and full life. Paul gives us these things. We need to share. What's, what's God spoken into your spirit? Maybe even today, maybe you need to go share something from this message beyond the chocolate peanut butter lasagna recipe, okay? <laughs> beyond that, but what has God spoken to you today that you need to share with someone else? You need to change your playlists. What needs to be the first thing you listen to in the morning and the last thing you listen to before you go to bed? What do you need to sing? And I don't mean just listen, but sing it. We sing it. And like those words that come out of your mouth, they change things. Maybe you need to find small ways to serve at work, at school, at home with no strings attached. Because Paul says that we serve in whatever way, whenever possible, not as if we're serving man, but we serve as if we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then maybe you need to go home tonight and, and just make a list, a thankful list. These are all the things I'm thankful for and pull that out and pull that out and just remind it. So maybe, you know, as, as a believer, those are some of the ingredients that are missing in your life. And maybe you're here today and you're just checking church out and you're not really following Jesus. You've heard about it. You've talked about it. And you've got some friends who follow Jesus, but it just hasn't really seen like the, the message to you at points just hasn't seemed like it's in all its richness. And it's not something that you want to fill your life with, or it's not something that you think has worked. Maybe you've tried to fill your life with other ingredients that you thought were rich, but they left your stomach, spiritual stomach, feeling sour afterwards. They left your spirit feeling sick afterwards, and you tried to satisfy it with something else. And let me just let you know that Paul says that it's the richness of the message of Christ that fills our life. Everything else is gonna come up short. And you may be here today, and it's our hope, it's our prayer, it's why we do this, that it's the richness of Christ would fill your life. And you receive that richness by coming into relationship with him. And if you're here today, and that simply starts by just saying, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. And I want us to close our eyes and bow our head. And if you're in this room today, and you're here, and your life doesn't feel very rich, the main ingredient that you're missing is a relationship with Christ. And you've tried to fill it with other things that have left you feeling empty. But Jesus said, I've come that you would have a rich and satisfying life. And if that's you today and you need Jesus in your life, the one who created you, informed you, knew all your mistakes and mishaps and sins and everything that you've tried to cover up, just like we sang today, like, like he's the one that ran to us, came to earth, lived a spotless, sinless life, but died the death that we deserve so that we could have life. 
And if that's you today, I want to ask you just to do one thing, just very simply, with no one looking around, just between you and Jesus. Would you just lift your hand and say, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need this rich and satisfying life. I need a life that is full and all of its richness. guys we do this and I don't want you to get it like it's not raising your hand but raising the hand is acknowledging that you need a savior in a moment it's confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord that's when the transformation happens and it's saying Jesus give me your life because I'm giving you mine Jesus I'm sorry for what I've done forgive me Jesus, I believe that you died for me and I want to follow you. And when you do that, I can't explain how it happens. Paul says it's a mystery. It says that everything that you have done, that you're ashamed of, that has separated you from the Father is covered under the sacrifice of Jesus. And that you are now, Scripture says, that that we can stand before Christ, before God, unashamed, without a blemish, completely in right standing. And so as we pray, it's a conversation that you have where you're at. It's not my words, but it's your words. And for the rest of us, it's my prayer, if you're following Jesus, that that the richness of his message would fill your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for your word that goes out and does exactly what it's supposed to that it produces fruit even when we don't see it, even when we don't recognize it. And so Jesus, I ask right now that those that have lifted their hearts and lifted their hands as they lift their prayers to you now, God, that you make all things new and do only what you can. God, that every whisper of the enemy is being silenced, that every insecurity is being overcome by the power of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, for the rest of us, let us be a shining light of the richness of your message. God, let us add the ingredients that we're missing. Let us share, God, let us sing, God, let us serve. God, we just wanna appreciate what you're doing in our life. And it's not just for us, but it's so those around us can see you at work in us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, come on, come on, come on. Let's give God a hand clap, let's go, come on.